Welcome to the Walk with the Wise podcast. I'm Matthew Capone, and I'm the pastor at Cheyenne Mountain Presbyterian Church in Southwest Colorado Springs. This summer, our community is going through the book of Proverbs together, and the book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. One of the themes of Proverbs is that wisdom is a community project, a group project, and that means that we need other people to help us become wise. Proverbs 13 verse 20 tells us that he who walks with the wise grows wise. And so my goal with this podcast is to talk with wise people about various topics in the book of Proverbs so that we would grow together in our wisdom. On this episode, I talk with Pastor Michael Coggin. Michael's a husband and a father, and he's a pastor in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, where he's been ordained since 2004. Michael has served at multiple churches since then, and he's actually about to begin a new job as the Director of Care at Redeemer Community Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He is also a licensed professional counselor and has helped run two different counseling centers in our denomination. We continue the conversation about how to teach our children wisdom and how we should think about and handle our anger. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael Coggin. Hey, Michael, uh, thanks for being here. It's just a privilege to have you with us and to have some of your time and your thoughts today. Matthew, it's uh, great to be on the podcast with you today. Um, as I mentioned to you before, you know, the purpose of this is one of my theme verses for my life. And also just, I think one of the most important verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs thirteen twenty, which says he who walks with the wise grows wise. And there's this sense that wisdom is a community project. It's a group project. It's not something we can find on our own, but we find it with other people. And one of the ways we grow is by finding people who are wiser than us. Um, in various areas. And so I know you have wisdom that you've developed over many years as a pastor um, and a counselor. And there's a couple topics I want to talk to you about, but just as an opening, I would love to hear from you. What do you think about when you think about the idea of wisdom? What does it mean for us to be wise as people? Yeah, I think it's such a great question, Matthew. I mean, I think in so many ways, you know, it really begins and ends with a, a fear of the Lord. And I think um, just the current climate and culture that we're in, it's, it's such a reflection of um, just this invitation uh, to our needs, our desires, you know, just um, entitlement and even just this kind of culture, I would say, of, of narcissism, um, which really um, encourages just this kind of belief of, you know, I can be God. And that was just the lie of the enemy in the garden in Genesis three, that, you know, if you disobey, if you eat this fruit, that you will be like God and just the, the brokenness, the devastation that that brought of, you know, turning our back um, on the one true God and really seeking to, to be that uh, for ourselves, to invite other people to be God in our lives. And, and so really, um, you know, for myself and our family, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about this in the podcast today, but just even for our own kids, just what does it uh, mean to kind of recognize our place in this world and God's creation and that we are, that we are made in God's image, uh, but we are not God, that we are finite human beings that cannot be all things to all people all the time. Um, and that the reality of the, the foolishness of that as we seek to live a life of um, whether that's as parents or pastors or friends or just as human beings, you know, pursuing to be God as opposed to really worshiping the one true God who loves us, who created us, and 
invites us to worship him and enjoy him forever. Yeah, that's really profound. Thanks, Michael. And you've put your finger on something important because it's at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs that it says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of it. And that's, that's what I hear you saying. We can't, we can't escape that. That's where we have to start. One of the things that's important for us as a congregation at Shine Mountain Presbyterian Church is we have lots of families and lots of kids. And um, I'm, of course, as you know, single and I don't have any children. And so one of the questions I've been asking folks is how do we think about teaching our kids about wisdom? How do you think about I know you have several children. How do you go about instructing them in wisdom and talking about the idea of wisdom with them? Yeah, I think it's another great question, Matthew. You know, it's, uh, I tell this story, you know, to people, you know, um, when I talk to them about parenting and wisdom, where it was probably six or seven years ago, I was asked to, to kind of lead a parenting conference at a church and got up and, you know, it was probably uh, a certain amount of people. And I said, Hey, I just want to start off by saying, you know, when I, when I was asked to do these parenting conferences in my late twenties, I was a lot more of an expert than I am now in my forties. And half of the church started laughing and then the other half of the church, you know, put down their legal pad and had this look of kind of frustration that they, um, that they weren't going to get the, the eight points of, Hey, if I do all eight of these things, you know, everything's going to turn out perfectly. And I think it's one of those things just as time goes by, you know, right now we have four kids that, you know, 17, 16, 12 and six, and just, you know, our kids are just such a blessing to us. Um, but the reality of just how I would say how humbling parenting has been, um, just, you know, every day that goes on just growing more and more and understanding, uh, just my need for the gospel, just the, my need for, um, to repent, to be forgiven. Um, and really in a lot of ways, you know, we talk about the church and community that, uh, people will know um, who Christ is by our love for one another. And I think there's a lot of uh, principle in that too, just not only our love for our children, that, but I think in some ways that they'll know uh, wisdom and be taught wisdom by how we seek to live that out in our lives in relationship to them. Um, that, you know, with all of our kids, you know, we kind of give this passage to them at a certain point where we kind of really talk about that they are, you know, arrows in a quiver, you know, it talks about in the Psalms and, and those arrows are not meant to gather dust and for us to kind of control or keep. Um, but really that we have this God given responsibility as parents to really equip and shepherd and love and kind of model wisdom to send those arrows out into the world really for kingdom warfare to really be salt and light uh, in a world uh, where you and I were talking before we started recording Matthew, where, you know, the, the hearts of men really are growing cold. And so really modeling um, a wisdom that, that is connected to humility and empathy and compassion um, that, that loves and fights for good things and knows when to fight and when knows when to when to speak and when to be silent, when to pursue and when to kind of um, stand and, and how to do all those things. And, and really that has to happen in community, not only the community of the family, 
but what I've learned over the years is just how much my wife and I need other parents um, walking with us that are in maybe the same season of life, that are maybe in a season that they're newer parents, but also parents that are kind of further down the road where, you know, we have our oldest is uh, about to be a senior um, in high school. And, you know, just got off the phone a little while ago with my former senior pastor, Hugh Barlett from St. Louis, Missouri, who has modeled so much wisdom for me. And, and that's something that is such a key part of wisdom is just having kind of a gospel posse and a gospel community to learn. Like you said, Matthew, like it's a group project. Like, how do we do this? How do we figure this out together? And and so the need for God's word, the need for the church, but really um, doing life together and, and kind of moving forward in a way um, that is driven by by the gospel. So I hear you saying a couple of things there, Zach, um, Michael. One of them is, you know, Zach Eswine, and I talked about the fact that wisdom is something that's caught rather than taught. And so if we want to teach our kids wisdom, we have to be growing in wisdom ourselves because yeah. we can't tell them as much as we, we model it. Um, and then the other thing I think you're highlighting for us is it takes a church to raise a child. Yeah. And you know, as well as I do, when we baptize, you know, an infant in our denomination, the final vow is to the congregation. And we ask them, are you going to be willing to help raise this child in the, the fear of the Lord? And so there's that, that group element um, to it. If you're willing, I'm wondering if you'd be able to take us to maybe a, some conversations that you have with your kids or situations, um, specific situations where you end up having to discuss wisdom with them and what that looks like. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, one story that, that I, that I tell that's kind of like, um, that's connected, I think several things we're probably gonna be talking about today is this was maybe, uh, I guess, eight years ago and uh, we were in St. Louis and I was in the kitchen and um, it got really quiet. And for all of us as parents, especially if you have, you know, at this point, my daughter was not born. So we just had our, our three sons and it got really quiet. And so my, my dad alarm went off of like, it's too quiet. It's too peaceful. Something's not right. (laughs) And as soon as that alarm went off, I heard off in the distance in one of the rooms, you know, don't let them find out, don't let them find out, um, grab Jupiter, grab Jupiter. And, and so in that moment after, you know, not being a first time parent, just kind of like really trying to slow down, catch my breath, kind of breathe in, breathe out and just started praying. Okay, Lord, help me to Lord, help me to respond in this moment and not react because I know I'm about to find something. So I turned the corner of our house and come into one of our son's room and all three of the boys are sitting side by side with their hands in their lap. So I'm like, something really is not good (laughs) in this moment. And my oldest son at this time, who would have been, I think around nine years old, has a bicycle helmet on. And so I look at all three of them. I say, guys, you know, can you tell me what happened? And I try to like, just kind of ask in that kind of tone and, they look at each other and they, and they say, well, we were making this video with the iPad and Kobe was jumping really high on the bed and he jumped too high and he went through the ceiling 
And at this point, I look up in the boy's ceiling, and there's this huge hole where this bicycle helmet had driven a hole through the drywall of the ceiling. And I think, you know, because of the great education system and, and the school system in St. Louis, Missouri, they knew that Jupiter was the largest planet in the solar system because they had reflective stars and planets on the ceiling. So they were going to take Jupiter and, and patch the hole with that reflective planet. And so I looked at them, I looked at the hole, and then I looked at the hole, I looked back at them. I said, guys, there's a lot to celebrate here. <laughs> I said, when I asked you, you told the truth, you know, you, you didn't throw each other under the bus, you know, you were kind to each other. And they kind of looked at each other, looked at me like, is dad crazy, <laughs> you know? But I think like in that moment, like, and that's just a sweet memory for me as a parent, you know, and we laugh about it today. But I think even in that, that there's this, um, kind of training and shepherding that it's like, I know that Lord willing, if God blesses them and blesses me with grandsons and them with sons, you know, there will be a little bit of uh, delight in that because, okay, now they're going to experience some of those things that, that we've gone through over the years, but just that they would be able to kind of catch um, just that, that kind of idea and concept of what does it look like to respond, not react. Uh, what does it look like to, you know, be slow to anger, which I know that's something you're wanting to talk about today as far as that role of anger um, in, in relationship. And, um, but also to, you know, that, that wisdom is connected to honesty. It's connected to so many things and really in one sense kind of um, modeling for them. Okay. What does it look like for a father to respond um, graciously? Now that that's like, best case scenario i mean there i think to that to that there's thousands of examples of me not responding like that and i think for all of us as parents and and even if we're not parents just the reality of the reality of our sin day in and day out and just needing the gospel not just once for salvation but like in every waking moment needing the gospel needing grace um so many times where you know I don't respond appropriately or I react, and in one sense, having that opportunity to model and teach, um, in one sense, kind of giving them the gift of my brokenness. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but in one sense, that my um, the illusion of my perfection is not a gift to them as as sons or as men, um, but my brokenness and my need need for Christ and healing is going to be something that they're going to need throughout their lives, that they're going to need as men, that they're going to need as husbands and fathers, that they're going to need in their jobs. Um, and that that's something that um, where I desperately need not only God's help, but, you know, leaning on my wife, Sherry, for support and direction. How, you know, what do you think? How should I navigate this? Kind of recognizing, like, I definitely don't have all the answers. Well, I'll never think about uh, the planet Jupiter quite the same again. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it was, it, the hole was actually too big. So I think they realized it wasn't going to work. So. So in that moment, you know, you're, you're modeling wisdom to your kids, um, but then also you're modeling it to them and helping them by being willing to acknowledge that you're not wise um, in all the ways that you, that you would like to be wise. And it's actually not helpful 
um, to pretend to know it all as a parent or, or that you've, you've arrived. How, how would you go about, you know, you mentioned those instances where it hasn't ended as well and maybe there has been anger from you or you haven't handled it the way you would have liked. How do you go about repairing that with your kids? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the things, and I don't know that we've talked about this before, Matthew, but just had a very emotionally abusive father myself. And so, you know, I think it's, um, and it's something we might talk about a little bit, but just how easy it is to go to shame um, in those moments when, you know, I miss the mark with them and how that shame actually I think keeps us from, um, you know, moving towards people in relationship as far as it keeps us in hiding, you know, where, you know, God is in the garden. He's like, where are you? And he, he knows where Adam and Eve are, but he's in one sense inviting them out of that position of hiding. Um, and so really having to kind of do battle with Lord help me in this moment of shame when I've missed the mark to kind of take this step out and kind of move towards my kids, you know, definitely move towards, you know, my wife, Sherry, move towards my kids as a parent. And then even just try to be mindful of, okay, I need to sit on the floor, you know, Lord help me to not um, help me to repent in this moment. And I think recognizing, okay, um, if I'm a finite human being, then, um, then it's not, I'm not fully sanctified, you know? And so as part of the reason why I'm maybe not repenting or resistant to this in community, whether I'm, um, you know, a spouse, whether I'm a parent or whether I'm a leader, you know, in any kind of sphere that God has put me in or a leader in the church is part of the reason why I'm being defensive and not repenting is because there's something that I'm protecting. Is there something that I'm, I'm defending more than and I'm fighting more for that, you know, as far as that idol of um, being perfect as a parent or being perfect as a elder or as a pastor or small group leader, or, you know, am I fighting for how I want to, to fight, to push back the effects of fall, the fall and repent and, and, and pursue restored relationship. So what are some of the words that you would use? What would you say to your kids um, in a situation? You've, you've sat on the floor, you've assessed all those things, and then you need to go and acknowledge, Hey, this, this wasn't wise on my part. How would you approach that? Yeah, I think the thing is just, I would say I need to ask for forgiveness. You know, it's like, I, I wronged you and I, I want to talk about this. And I think in one sense, try to um, talk about it and then even to allow space for them to feel the freedom to share hurt or anger and not like run to run to, well, this person's like my son's being disrespectful or like, as opposed to like, there's probably legitimate anger or hurt. And so Lord help me to be really open to kind of hear that. Cause my identity is not in being a perfect parent. My identity is in your finished work. That's already happened. Yeah, that's where the rubber meets the road of your, yeah. from the gospel. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's it and I think for myself, you know, it's included for all of us. I mean, I think it can be easier for me to counsel those things or teach or preach or even talk about them on a podcast. I think the the reality is, I mean, usually when you are either preaching a sermon or talking about a podcast on anger or wisdom, there's going to be something within probably a two to three hour period that's going to happen. So it's like in that, like, Lord, help me to turn my heart towards you in prayer and um, rest in you and be open to, to take this step towards this person. Yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. And that's a great segue into the topic of anger. So in that story, you chose to connect with your kids rather than to blow up at them. And one of the topics of the Proverbs that shows up over and over is the topic of anger. And I think it's a tough issue for all of us because, you know, often there's either maybe too much anger or too little anger. And so how, just from a big picture view, how should we think about anger as Christians? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of uh, older men and women in the faith that I really respect that have spoken on this a lot. I mean, you know, you know, it's uh, we don't get paid on commission to mention Tim Keller. You know, in the PCA, his name comes up a lot, but I think you know, the, I think um, Tim Keller in the same way that C.S. Lewis did such a great job of like um, describing and presenting fairly complicated realities in a way that's really uh, you know accessible to people. I think Keller has done that in so many ways and, and on so many subjects. And I think on this issue of anger, he really addresses it in terms of, you know, we typically rush to either kind of, um, you know, ventilate our anger, you know, like just get it all out in a way of just spew it and then, or kind of control it. And then more of like the, the Seinfeld kind of serenity. Now I'm just going to stuff it and act like it's not a big deal. And where you in Christian circles and in a Christian community, we kind of frame anger, like, well, I'm not angry. I'm just really frustrated, which can be, you know, Christianese and Christian speak for, you know, even sometimes rage or, you know, I'm not angry, I'm depressed. And so I, I think there is, um, and there's also a lot of growing research that shows that, you know, anger, um, which is consistent with what we know in the Proverbs, but even modern research that anger is harder on our bodies physiologically than even anxiety and worry. And that, that anger really breaks down our bodies in so many ways. And so it also, um, affects our physical bodies, but also affects the communities in which we we live and do life in, whether that's the community of marriage, the community of a family with kids, or um, a church, or a nation. I mean, you and I were, you know, talking a little bit, just like the reality of, you know, where we're at culturally, how polarized almost every issue is now, and just the... Um, you know how in Matthew, I think it's 26, where the hearts of men grow cold and just this quickness to anger, this quickness to kind of vitriolic discourse as opposed to slowing down and listening before we before we kind of rush headlong into, I'm just going to flip the, you know, the button and turn the key and do full-scale nuclear missile release. And so I think that's where the Proverbs are just, it's such a gift where, 
you know, we see that, that reactivity in leadership and kind of a quick tempered anger, just how that leads to foolishness. And like in so many ways, I would say even in the church, but also in families, it's, it's that quickness to anger and the quickness to not hold our opinions or perspectives really loosely is, is almost the same thing for all of us. If, if we were to take off the rear view side view, view mirrors and kind of take a black can of spray paint and spray paint the cab and just drive down the road that, that there is a great cost to other people relationally and also potentially a great cost to ourselves. Um, and that's why I think God's word is warning of the danger of, I would say, quick anger. I think to like what you said too, where I appreciated the question, Matthew, is that, that God's word also presents a more nuanced um, description of anger where there are things that we should be angry about. You know, my two of my sons have dealt with some pretty significant, um, you know, did some bullying over the years. And for any, anyone who loves that, okay, if someone is attacking someone that you love, that is a good thing to kind of express that anger and protection um, over a love that is being violated or an injustice. Um, and that's, you know, in, in a family context that, that there needs to be in us as followers of Christ, uh, a righteous anger as far as, you know, systemic racism or other forms of injustice in our world, as far as sex trafficking or uh, other, you know, violations of fellow image bearers. And so, you know, if we're, if we're never angry and we're just nice, that that's, um, that's not being a good man or a good woman. And it's inconsistent with what was modeled by, uh, for us by Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's uh, it can be dangerous on either side. And I'm actually really curious now, Michael, how you express that, that righteous anger. So it can be, I think, as you've hinted at or pointed out, it can be really actually damaging in certain situations to not be angry. You know, if you didn't express anger over your kids being bullied, that's, um, that's a loss to them in a way. So how did you express that anger in a way that was helpful and appropriate? Well, one of the things that God has been really loving and gracious to me that, um, in Alabama, Matthew, they have a saying, you know, when, you know, that, um, when people meet my wife, they say, that you outkicked your punt coverage, you know, <laughs> and that God's been very gracious to me, you know, uh, coming up on 20 years uh, of marriage to, to my wife, Sherry, of um, a wife who just her character and her wisdom to really just go to her and just say, Hey, can you help me walk through this? Um, Cause in one sense, like, let me, almost have this kind of Lord help me to have this position of, okay, this is what I think. And this is how I want to like rush into this situation. But there is more than a high probability that I might be doing it in a way that's um, not going to be glorifying or loving or redemptive or um, healing or helpful. Um, and so in one sense, like you were talking about where wisdom is kind of a group project, I think, 
I think the same thing could be said for, you know, the need for slow anger and righteous anger to, you know, be in the context of community that we were in one sense, we have been made for community, not to live life in isolation. Uh, My hope, you know, coming out of this season of forced stillness, that community would, would take on more texture and fullness and we would see it as far as the importance of community in a fuller way. Um, I think there also is a chance that the pendulum could also swing the way to where, you know, being more isolated and distanced from other people is now normalized and a part of our daily rhythms, which actually could um, be more of a challenge for our communities and for us as individuals. So one of the ways then that you work through righteous anger is you check it out with other people and say, Hey, does this make sense? Do you agree that this is righteous? Am I processing this correctly? And you're hitting on another theme in the Proverbs that we haven't discussed, which is there's many instances where it talks about the importance of counselors or the importance of advice that we need other people to speak into our lives. And so the book of Proverbs itself acknowledges explicitly that wisdom is this group, this group project. So let's say you've, you and Sherry have talked about it. You realize, yeah, this is righteous anger. What are the things you might say to your, your son that he would know how upset you are over the fact that he was bullied? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, some of those things might not be able to be shared for a podcast. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think to that, Matthew, I think just, I think the heart of what I would have shared with our sons is that their, their, um, their dignity and their humanity is valuable and that, um, you know, that in one sense, like, to turn the other cheek is, is not necessarily a, a call to victimization, you know, for um, the person who's experienced sexual or physical abuse that, that we're not called to, um, to allow that to continue, that as individuals to, to set certain boundaries to protect the image that we bear. And then, at, you know, in pastoral ministry to, to seek to, to provide the church to be a safe place for the widow and the orphan. Um, and we see that throughout scripture, you know, as far as, you know, Boaz saying, Hey, don't go over to that field. You need to come here because, you know, I want you to be protected and taken care of. And, and I want to protect your dignity and your humanity. And you see the, the wisdom and the character of Boaz in that old te- Testament you know, situation. And so, um, I think with, with the boys just kind of communicating that, that it, it's, um, if it, if it gets to the point where you have to stand up, you know, for your dignity in a way, um, and someone calls me from the school office, you know, I will be taking you to get wings at the, you know, nearest pizza wing establishment and, and, um, and so in one sense, kind of part of that wisdom of like, um, you know, I, in one sense, you have like Jordan Peterson who professes to be an agnostic, 
but also talking to Jocko Wilnick, who is a former Navy SEAL in a podcast conversation. And they're talking about masculinity. In one sense, you have these two people, and I'm not sure about where Jocko is as far as uh, his profession of faith, but I, I believe two men that are not necessarily profession, professing believers, but then in one sense talking about like what is what is wisdom in certain situations around masculinity that you know that um, that a harmless man is not a, a good man that a good man is actually a, a dangerous man that has that under self-control. And I think that's one of the things that, especially, I don't necessarily we're going to talk about masculinity today, but as far as wisdom and, and even how that applies to masculinity and what I would say to my sons in regards to physical violence perpetrated against them or bullying or emotional violence perpetrated against them, that, you know, the, what we have modeled in the life in the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not Mr. Rogers or Captain Kangaroo that we have, um, uh, you know, the God of the universe that's fully God and fully man who was dangerous. He was so dangerous. You know, the religious establishment had to put him, they put him to death and he was also so dangerous. I was talking, you know, we were talking with several men in a devotion a couple of weeks ago and we were just kind of laughing just, you know, wanting to go back in these moments in church history when we're in new heavens and new earth and like replay the video interaction and, and just Jesus standing before Pilate where Pilate had probably seen thousands of men in that same situation begging for their life and that Jesus is not begging for his life, that this is a dangerous man who is standing there and, and Pilate is like, who is this guy? And so I, I think... I think being in community and okay, what does God's word present to us as far as fighting for human dignity, as far as doing that in a way that where we have a fear of the Lord and um, is, is wise and that we can't do that in isolation or independence or out of our own, like um, our own knowledge or understanding that we need to be in community to kind of navigate those situations well. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. There's, I think it's easy for us to know and recognize that too much anger is bad, but it can be more difficult to recognize too little anger um, yeah. is bad as well. I have a, a mentor of mine who's a, a pastor. And at one point he was counseling someone and he said to them, I'm, I'm not sure you're angry enough about yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's some things that demand our anger. And of course, Jesus wasn't a man without anger. Yeah. On the flip side, though, you know, the phrase that shows up in the Proverbs over and over is slow to anger, which, of course, highlights it's not that there's no anger. It's just it's slow. And I think you've already begun to answer this question. Um, part of the way we're slow to anger is by checking out our anger with other people, just like you do with your wife. But how would you counsel someone who has what Proverbs calls a, a quick temper and who needs to grow in being slow to anger? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, not only for that person, but for myself included and for all of us, as far as um, if I find myself getting angry over certain things, you know, um, you know, to, to ask the question, you know, what are the things that I get the most angry about, you know? And I think that's where I am thankful, 
you know, for this season of forced stillness that we can kind of learn from as far as having more space and opportunity to ask questions of other people and to kind of wrestle through, okay, where is my heart and mind in this moment? And, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that's not necessarily connected to anger, but I think it's, it's, um, it's, I think similar in the sense of an idolatry of just even, you know, probably seven or eight weeks ago. Okay. Why is there this kind of restlessness in my heart that as a pastor, I'm not doing these things, you know, I'm not going to these meetings or having these conversations or teaching this class that, and then really having to kind of wrestle with, okay, I think there's some, you know, identity wrapped up in kind of doing things as opposed to my identity, you know, resting in Christ and Christ alone that I actually need to kind of repent that, okay, there is a movement in my heart that was kind of drawing value or worth from doing certain things. And, and so if, you know, we kind of, whatever happens, you know, move at whatever point back into the opportunity of those similar rhythms that were maybe going on um, in January and February of this year before things really slowed down. Okay. Why is my heart kind of running towards that, you know, with anger, like, why am I getting angry over this? You know, so, um, you know, one of the things is just like, okay, my child misbehaves and throws a tantrum because they want a Mountain Dew when they're like two years old and a donut at the Krispy Kreme, you know, in the, the food mart, you know, food court, you know, what's going on in my heart in that moment? Is there just like kind of embarrassment in one sense that people aren't going to think I'm a good parent because um, my child is throwing a tantrum, you know, and, and being a sinner like I am and like they are. Um, and so I think in that, like, what am I, what am I defending? You know, is it, is it okay for me to make mistakes? Is it okay for my, um, kids to make mistakes? I think in the church, is it okay for pastors to be human beings and for pastors to be able to make mistakes or not have the answers to certain questions or one sense to be finite human beings, you know, that, um, and so what, what am I, what am I getting angry about is I think a really important question. Yeah. The anger's there on the surface and our emotions at some level reveal what we really care about. And so what I hear you saying is, Hey, we need to actually figure out what is it that we care about so much that's causing us to be angry. And is that something that's righteous or not? One of our, our friends, Israel Wright uses the phrase interrogating our anger which I think is what I yeah, hear say as good. well. We're asking questions about it. Yeah, most of what Israel says is spot on. So yeah, if it's an Israel, if it's an Israel right quote, sign me up. So yeah, and you know, you talked through that earlier. I think talking about that story with your kids of hey, I sometimes I just sit on the floor and I think through things. Yeah, and that's the the pausing element of anger that you're making sure I'm being really slow to anger. One of the things that I think is really challenging about anger is you've named some real, some healthy ways for people to be slow to anger. And of course there are unhealthy ways that people choose to deal with their anger that might fly under the radar because they don't come out in angry outbursts. Um, sometimes I think it can come out in addiction 
And I wanted to ask you about that because I know you have a deep background as a counselor, professional counselor. And I've heard before that there can often be a connection between pornography use and anger. Is that a way to maybe cover it up? And I was wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I think in that, that in so many ways, I think there's um, probably one of the most helpful kind of um, discussions around this issue was uh, by a man named Gene McConnell that I heard. It's almost 20 years ago where he really framed pornography in a way that I had not heard it framed. Um, so I would have been in my twenties at the time and just framing it in a way that really kind of addressed the, the heart kind of root realities of the addiction and then addressed what does it mean to move forward in a, in a gospel driven way and not in just this kind of behavior modification approach and really kind of unpacking just even that, um, in so many ways as we go to pornography, um, substance abuse, or even for people who go to the idol of kind of fame or power um, or kind of recognition is trying to meet a, a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so in one sense, it kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning of our conversation in Genesis 3, like if you you do this, you will be like God. And so in one sense, we kind of take that even to like work, pleasure, sexuality, all these things that are God-given gifts and are good things. But then we try to, um, and it's really just kind of the, the, the essence of humanism, you know, um, instead of God being the center of all things and us seeking to, you know, give glory to him and enjoy him forever, that humanism is really man being at the center and man being the measure of all things where it's like, I'm going to try to control and manage um, the pain that it's in my life or anger or um, hurt or rejection um, in this way, as opposed to kind of taking my anger and my hurt, my legitimate longings to the God of the universe that, that wants to bring, you know, and you see this in, in John four, you know, just so clearly. And in one sense, it's not necessarily an issue of, they're talking about pornography, but in so many ways, Jesus is addressing this woman in a way that's just so loving, gentle, patient, tender, but in one sense, very strong that like you're, you're racing after all these men to satisfy these deep longings of your heart that you actually are made for. And what you were made for is actually sitting right in front of you. And, and that he comes to her without this hidden or self-centered agenda where he's, he's not trying to like harvest her or use her, but he's enjoying and loving and delighting in her in a way to where she just runs and starts telling everybody like who Jesus is, you know? And I think that's just such a picture of, you know, even in, with the issue of pornography so often, okay, I'm, I'm have these legitimate needs in my marriage, um, you know, legitimate needs in relationship and then I'm, I'm trying to uh, manage pain or hurt or shame. And then what happens is we try to do this just, you know, um, there's a great documentary called The Heart of Man. Uh, it came out in 2017 that addresses 
the issue of pornography that if those who are listening have not seen this documentary, Dan Allender and several other Christian authors are actually interviewed in this documentary. It's, it's, it's based loosely on the prodigal son. So you have kind of a movie and then a documentary element, but it's really addressing this issue of where do we take our hearts? You know, do we take it to these kind of trinkets and plastic trophies and these quick fixes or, you know, in one sense, I kind of refer to it as kind of Cheetos for the soul. Um, or do we take our hearts to kind of what it was made for, which is really kind of prime rib and it's, you know, in kind of redemptive healing community and um, in relationship, um, you know, in, in a marriage, in a, in a gospel driven friendship in the church. Um, and do we seek to, to take our heart ultimately to the Lord or do we take it to other things? Yeah, there's some things that are intoxicating, but they don't nourish or sustain yeah. it. Yeah. You mentioned the phrase, I think, gospel centered change rather than behavior modification. And that made me want to just jump back for a little bit in terms of, of anger. How would you apply the gospel and have that gospel heart-centered change rather than just behavior modification strategies? Yeah, I think um, as I kind of had the privilege of meeting with men and women in counseling, um, I think just kind of asking questions. I think that's one of the things that um, Jesus just does such a great job of. If you just like, he just sends these like questions that are almost like these gospel redemptive cruise missiles that you really don't hear coming that just kind of come over the tree line and hit like kind of almost like a lays target on a battlefield, like the exact pinpoint place for that particular person, you know, whether it's Nicodemus, whether it's Zacchaeus, whether it's, you know, the woman at the well in John four. And so just the importance, you know, in a gospel driven way of asking questions, not to shame and, and coming to a brother and sister in Christ, especially in counseling that where that's where I'm so thankful for covenant seminary and the training and counseling. And then just even theologically, whether it's, you know, Dan Zink, Richard Winter, Jaron Bars, um, just what was modeled for us as students as far as that it's a, it's a privilege to be in relationship with a fellow image bearer, believer or unbeliever. And if, you know, if they're coming to kind of wrestle with, you know, as, as the world talks about like anger management issues to really kind of ask these kind of questions in a way that doesn't point them to you to get the answers, but really points them to really what is the well of life, what it really is the, the spring of life that's really going to satisfy their hearts and really address like, okay, what is this anger really about? Um, you know, just, you know, remember probably one of the first clients I ever met with probably 20 something years ago and him coming in for anger issues and kind of working through that over the course of several months and several months in like him sharing, you know, as a, as a four-year-old when he would spill his, you know, food on the floor and he, he shared a memory of spilling peas on the floor, you know, and some of his mashed potatoes and his father, earthly father kind of putting his foot on the back of his four-year-old's neck and making him eat the food 
off the floor, um, you know, like a dog. And this man had never shared that story, had never processed that story, um, had been extremely angry towards me, you know, and scheduling appointments had been extremely angry towards me when he showed up late, like 45 minutes and we had to, you know, reschedule an appointment. But then that really coming, coming out just, um, not only his own sin, but how he had been sinned against and what had been modeled for him as far as what a man does with emotion and what a man does with anger. Yeah, that's really powerful. And you're taking us back to the idea of interrogating, interrogating not as a behavior modification strategy, but as a way of getting at our hearts and then having them reoriented by Jesus. Yeah. Well, Michael, this has been a really rich time and I'm just grateful to you for donating your time to us. It's a real gift. Um, I've certainly become wiser talking with you and I hope uh, many others do as well. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, Matthew. It was a real privilege to spend time with you.